This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, the great fentanyl debate of 2022 is finally over. Going into the state legislative session back in January, everyone agreed that we needed to do something to stem the rising tide of overdose deaths. For years, illicit fentanyl was found almost exclusively east of the Mississippi. But recently, it has arrived in Colorado. Our lawmakers negotiated for months, and in the end, thanks to a last-minute compromise, we got a bill that further criminalizes people who use drugs. According to our partners at the Denver Gazette, there was only an hour left at the end of the session when the final vote approving this bill came down. We made a priority of covering this fight on the show. So me and Paul are looking back at how it all went down and talking about what's next. Oh, and just a note, there's some adult language in this episode because I'm pretty upset about it. Today is Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. stressed just ready just getting ready readying my lungs because i think the next thing to do is just to start recording okay i'm ready all right do you want to um do you want to welcome me should i welcome you what do you think <laughs> just welcome each other Bree, welcome to your show good morning <laughs> good morning paul thank you for joining me on my show that's also your show <laughs> to be fair well thank you Bree, and it's my pleasure to be here because we're we're talking about the fentanyl bill and it's something we've both really cared about through this whole legislative session all spring. Um, and it passed last week, I think just at the very last minute. And this bill got chopped up and all changed around and there's a ton of stuff in there. And I want to go through all of it. But I think the big headline is that it would make possessing less than a gram of fentanyl a misdemeanor and possessing more than a gram, a felony. That actually moves down the threshold from where it was previously set at four grams. So this this new bill is gonna mean more felonies. And it's kind of interesting because the day after this bill was passed, you were at a fundraiser for the Harm Reduction Action Center, uh, where I imagine people had some pretty strong feelings about all this. And I wanna start there, tell me all about it. What was that like? What was the scene like? Yeah, I mean, it was like so totally coincidental that that happened. It's their annual, you know, spring fundraiser. There were so many people there, hundreds of people there. And the room was um, energized for sure. But people were also pissed because the way that this bill unfolded, it could have been a big win that the room was celebrating, but it wasn't. Hmm. Several folks from the Harm Reduction Action Center spoke to the group about the work they do every day, where your money goes, the details of what they fund 
with the money that you give, which is like safer smoking kits for um, people that smoke drugs, uh, you know, safe disposal for needles, uh, street outreach, care, all sorts of things that they they take care of. But at, then at the end of all of these really beautiful speeches about the work that they do, Lisa Ravel got up and kind of said what I think so many of us were feeling, which was, fuck, this sucks. The fentanyl accountability bill, the biggest thing it did was further criminalize drugs. Um, and that, by default, further criminalizes people who use drugs. And she was just kind of like, she didn't call out anybody specifically, but it was like, um, there's some people in the legislature that call themselves harm reductionists, and this was not a harm reduction bill. And I will say that's one of the things about the actual bill language that is weird to me, is there is a lot of use of the term harm reduction in there. But it's not harm reduction principles. Hmm. Harm reduction is reducing the harms associated with drugs. You know, like it's the it's reducing the harms associated with anything that is dangerous. So in the harm reduction space for drug use, harm reduction means providing people with clean supplies so that they don't get things like hepatitis and HIV. It's to keep people who use drugs alive. And so this bill does not do that as far as I can tell and Lisa's frustration was so palpable I mean she was angry Hmm. and I think in part because the numbers and the work that the harm reduction action center and groups like them across the world have been doing show that criminalizing people that use drugs does not stop the drug problem Hmm. it doesn't get more drugs off the street it puts people in jail and it doesn't necessarily put even a dent in our opioid crisis or right now our fentanyl crisis Hmm. as we've criminalized it it's only gotten worse so well it sucked can you (laughs) you know you're you're saying this stuff about harm reduction and criminalization and i and i just i hear representative leslie harrod's voice in my head talking about all of these great things that got in this bill and like i think she would say that she believes in harm reduction principles as the main way to approach this problem. And, and she would talk about how proud she is of like the funding for testing strips and naloxone. And, and I don't know, I mean, isn't, isn't that harm reduction or is it just that these aspects are not compatible with each other in your opinion? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, Paul. I think it's that they're not compatible. Um, I spoke with Lisa Rayville about this and she kind of said the same, like, What it comes down to is that this bill would increase punishments for people who use drugs. So you can hand out testing strips and fund outreach programs all you want, but we won't necessarily be keeping people alive today or keeping them out of jail. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. 
There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. I want to talk about one aspect of this, just like the way that it went down, like this, this issue specifically, how it got processed through our politics, because I feel like this is just such a classic example of, we have a problem, we have to do something. And then everybody brings their own ideas and their own bias to the table. And then it ends up approaching like a million different things all in kind of a bad way, like just no real leadership displayed. There was no like single strategy. And I feel like that was, that was governor Polis's responsibility here. Like he just, he always said like, he's going to sign the bill. He likes this, not that this part, not that, but he never offered like, here's the approach we're going to take. Like we're going to take a harm reduction approach and then make every aspect of the bill fall from that. Not we're going to glom together these different things. You know what I mean? Yes. I think a huge part of this issue stems from the fact that uh, uh, medical professionals, harm reduction action, like harm reductionists, uh, people that use drugs were not part of that initial conversation to craft this bill. So the folks that are on the ground every day working on this issue were not consulted. And when it comes to things like drugs, they're highly stigmatized and the responses often criminalize this out of existence. And that, to me, was the approach of this bill. No matter how much there was talk about uh, mental health services or funding for fentanyl testing strips or funding for naloxone, I mean, those things are great in theory. But if the overarching, like, arm of this bill is to criminalize people, none of that shit matters. And that, to me, was the problem, Paul, was that that was the – that's been the mindset for – I don't know, however long the war on drugs has been going on, the better part of a century. Mm -hmm. And we have shown over and over again that it's not changing. I mean, if it was effective, we wouldn't be seeing fentanyl deaths year over year getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, We would be losing less people. So that to me is part of the problem was A, there wasn't leadership in there with lived experience, data, firsthand knowledge, and the criminalization aspect just over was kind of just saturated this whole conversation yeah. and the bill, the ultimate bill. Law enforcement has a lot of influence in that building. I think yes. that's something I learned from this. A lot of influence. And there was a lot of testimony. I mean, I think there was like 14 hours of testimony or something about it. And a lot of law enforcement talked more about further criminalization, which was interesting to me because I think about that conversation I had with Attorney General Phil Weiser. And I remember he talked to um, it was like a sheriff or someone that oversaw a jail in a rural part of Colorado. And he said like 90% of his, of the folks in jail were withdrawing. And I was like, why do you want to be in that business? <laughs> why yeah. do police don't want to be in the business of, uh, helping folks through this process? I, again, I've told this story over and over again. I've helped somebody withdraw at home from heroin. It's a nightmare. I just don't understand why police officers would want to be part of that. Well, you, you've, you've seen this cycle before, you know, this is kind of my first time paying attention to this issue really, it, but you know, you, you were there when the 2019 bill was getting passed. You've seen this before. What's next? What what can we expect? <sighs> More people are going to die, unfortunately, until we tackle those root issues, um, 
that get people into these situations with drugs, um, like uh, housing, stability. This isn't just an unhoused person's issue. I want to be clear about that. This is not just the unhoused community, but it is, it's all, it's, it's all over. I mean, drugs are everywhere. And until we really deal with the fact that we need things to be safe to keep people alive in order for them to deal with their stuff, we're just going to see more death. And I think with this bill, we're going to see more incarceration. And anytime you incarcerate a person, you remove them from their community. And that's a chain reaction problem that can ruin someone's life, their ability once they get out of jail to do things like get housing, get a job, reintegrate into society, into their community with their family. I mean, we ruin people's lives when we put them in jail. And it just seems very counterintuitive to me to put people who use drugs in jail. Um, as far as like legislatively, I don't know what it will look like in a couple years. But again, what will most likely unfortunately happen is we'll have another slew of very high profile deaths and that will again spring lawmakers into action and what they do from there i don't know i hope that they listen to harm reductionists and people who use drugs and medical professionals who deal with this every day and we do something different but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case um well as we're wrapping up i want to offer one small silver lining to this i i just was reading about fentanyl in general um and there was a a quote from something posted on the colorado health institute website about just what has been happening the last couple years around this and this article states and i'm quoting drug overdose deaths were already on the rise in colorado but the COVID 19 pandemic had an unprecedented impact on substance use and access to treatment and support options so Yes, drug overdose deaths were already on the rise around the same time fentanyl was coming in, but the pandemic created the conditions for despair that led people to make bad decisions, I think. And the pandemic is slowly, God willing, going away. So hopefully the fabric of our community and our economy can you know, stitch itself back together a little bit. And I do want to say throughout the pandemic, the Harm Reduction Action Center did not close. They were open. They're all their normal hours. They were still serving the community of people who use drugs every day through the pandemic, regardless of what was going on. Um, so I, I want to give props to them for, for, for sticking it out and just doing what they do. Uh, I also know as someone in recovery, isolation is like one of the easiest ways to get to a darker place. And so being close with each other again, I think uh, you're right. I hope that that helps. I also just want to say one thing. We talk about this a lot. Supervised use sites, which are places where people can safely use drugs and they are not alone and there are medical professionals there. If you don't want to see people doing drugs in your alley, if you don't want to see people doing drugs at Union Station, if you don't want to see people doing drugs in your favorite park, advocate for supervised use sites. It gives people a place to do that, and then you don't see it anymore. If you don't like it, you don't have to see it. And these people can stay alive and and mind their own business just as you would like to mind your own business. So it's just my last little PSA for supervised use. I love that. I love that. I I hope the future holds more conversations about supervised use sites. Me too. Maybe maybe some state lawmakers who are frustrated by this whole experience and eager to you know, maybe move to a different office, might want to talk about that stuff with us. We'd love to talk about that. I would love it. I would love it. I love talking about supervised use. 
Let's do it. Um, thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for having me on my show, Paul, to talk about my <laughs> get on my soapbox about my thing. <laughs> I love learning from you on this issue, Bree. Thank you so much for sharing, as always. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. The Denver Art Museum has officially removed another piece of looted artwork from its collection. The Denver Post reports that one of the famous Benin bronzes, an artifact stolen from southern Nigeria by British colonizers, was given to the dam in the 1950s. This is the first step to repatriating the pilfered art. It's also part of a larger movement of art museums across the world acknowledging what it means to show off stolen goods like you own them. And finally... Paul tells me the Avalanche are facing off against the St. Louis Blues in game one of the second round of the playoffs at Ball Arena tonight. The Avs starting goalie Darcy Kemper had to miss a game after a gnarly eye injury, but the good word is he'll be back between the pipes tonight. The puck drops at 7.30 p.m. I hope you can see it. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, where today Peyton goes deeper on the stolen artwork conversation. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. The Avs starting goalie Darcy Kemper His name is Darcy? Huh. That's a man's name? God.